Please record. Okay. Okay. When you push this one down. It, it was disappointing to watch. This one also pushes down in your recording. Okay. Okay. Show me the feeling. That's good. Very okay. easy. Mm -hmm. All right. Show me the feeling of a wild, wild man evening. Back and forth on that dusty, winding trail. Take me up the mountain to that old shining sun. And drink me that till the day is done. I've been waiting for this weather to catch up. folks, Farmer Devin here. Today I've got another great local business to share with you. Today we're going to be interviewing the owner of Skyline Gardens, Casper's own hyper-local hydroponic farm. Skyline really focuses on hyper-local. In a day and age where the word local can mean anything within more than 400 miles away, producers like this bring meaning back to our labels and honesty back to our marketing. We're going to talk to Matt Powell all about their operation. But before we do, let's get a quick word from our sponsor. Amazon.com. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon for one simple reason. They offer value to their customers in a highly competitive way. Most people shop on Amazon at least occasionally, and it's easy to see why. They have a massive selection, an easy-to-use interface, and competitive pricing on pretty much every product they offer. Of course, you don't listen to this show because you have a great love and passion for Amazon, but you probably do shop with them because it works. Well, while you're shopping with them, you can help support the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast and the work that we do. Simply follow the link in the show notes on our website and I'll earn a commission on qualifying purchases. It won't cost you a penny more. Just click the link before you do your shopping. All right. And with that, Matt, welcome to the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, is there anything in the intro that I missed about you or the farm or anything you'd like to uh, add? No, that was all the basics. Yeah, we're proud to be part of the Casper community and, uh, and uh, thankful for all the support we've gotten from the, uh, from the town. Excellent. Um, maybe let's start off. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Like maybe what brought you from being a child to being a farmer? Uh, sure. Um, uh, it's actually it's actually kind of a side business for me. It's uh, um, uh, uh, a, a, a sort of a midlife divergence. I, I, I really didn't have any background in agriculture at all. Um, I've been in the tech industry and different things like that. And, um, but um, uh, you know, I read an article in a newspaper I don't know five years ago now. Uh, talking about these uh, hydroponic, these, and, you know, pre-built and closed hydroponic farms and just all automated and everything just sounded like a really cool thing. And so we just kind of started going down that road. I was not really expecting it to actually happen, but the doors just kept opening. And um, so here we are. So so just about, well, it's been about four years now that we've been launched, a little bit over four years. And, um, and it's been a great time. I've learned a ton and made a bunch of mistakes, and, <laughs> but it's been, it's been quite a ride. 
Perfect. Well, we're going to have to ask you a little bit about, yeah, the mistakes, the learning, the, you know, the ups and downs. Um, so you said it's been about four years. Does that mean a skyline was established back in 2017? Yeah, yeah. January of 2017 was when we actually started production. Okay. Um, and what kind of crops do you guys offer? Uh, so it's mostly lettuce. Um, about 80% of the farm is lettuce. Um, and then we also grow kale and microgreens, uh, radish and broccoli microgreens, and some culinary herbs like uh, kale and chives and parsley. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, do you find any of those crops uh, tend to do a little better than some of the other ones? Uh, you know, it's it's a funny it's a funny. There's a lot of moving parts. You know, humidity and temperature and um, uh, and how you do the rotations and stuff. And sometimes it feels like when I get one optimized, and that kind of pulls down on another one. And so, uh, you know, kale is probably as easy as anything to grow. Um, it's, it, you know, it's pretty hard to, pretty hard to kill that stuff. <laughs> um, so I, I think probably as far as just the easiest, it's probably kale. Um, they all have their own individual challenges though. So did you start with maybe a different crop setup than you have now? Have you kind of refined your offerings a little bit? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I started out all lettuce and then I, I decided I decided to, to add a few things into the mix. It really it even improves the lettuce sales when people have, when there's other things they can get too, like the kale and the herbs and microgreens. Mm-hmm. Microgreens are a relatively new thing, um, and uh, that's been real successful. But uh, I grew chard for a while, Swiss chard, and, and that um, I never was terribly happy with that. It was a great product, but I just couldn't get the volume that I wanted. And I've, then I rotate around different herbs from time to time i used to grow cilantro and oregano and dill and so you just kind of settle on what's the combination of the easiest to grow and the best sellers Um, so yeah we've done different things but the 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 present mix uh, like i said the microgreens are that's something fairly new we've been doing and it's been a big hit um and i've just recently very recently expanded the the capacity for microgreens the rest of the stuff I think I'm pretty stable on. I think I'll probably stick with for a while. Yeah, I've been doing microgreens for about a year and a half, two years. Oh, yeah. There. So, yeah, they're, cool. they're good crops. It, it is interesting, though. I've found, like, you know, you, you might maybe think that just because you're indoors it's going to be easy, but, you know, there are different times of year your humidity goes way up or goes way down, your temperature swings. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I mean, it definitely has some effect. Um, just because you're inside doesn't mean it's, you know, perfect. Right, right. Yeah, it's easier to control some uh, some variables, but others are maybe even harder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and with my, you know, the sunflower uh, shoots that I grow, those are pretty susceptible to mold when it gets really humid and hot. Oh, yeah. So, like, July, August time is kind of tough. And in Wyoming, you know, it's typically so dry here, it is hard to find a dehumidifier you can find humidifiers all day but a dehumidifier is a tough thing to find around here and so trying to pick them up like second (laughs) hand or something it's it's not the same as uh if if i needed something else you know yeah yeah that's true so are you guys uh how do you handle inspection are you customer inspected state inspected federal uh, you know, because we are, because all we do is grow and sell produce, we're actually not, we're actually not under any regulations at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, so I don't, I don't require any, uh, uh, we're not required to do any 
state or federal inspections because we, we don't we don't process anything. Right. Um, and so uh, so customers are welcome to come by and take a look for sure and see our operation. Um, but uh, uh, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, that's something that we do on my farm too. You know, I was, I like to say I'm customer inspected, not bureaucrat inspected. Because you know your customers will know what they're looking for, but a bureaucrat's looking for check marks. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah definitely helps to keep that quality up. Uh, so do you uh, do you do like set dates where you're doing farm tours, or do you just kind of have like an open door policy where if a customer wants to come, you just say yeah, come out, or how do you deal with that? You know the logistics you know, of people I, coming on. I haven't done a ton of that. Um, generally, what I say is that it, it, you know any any customer that wants to come by and and have me show them around, I'm happy to do that and just have have them drop me a line and let me know we'll work out a time that works. So we don't have set tour days, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's it's also it's not a great setup for people just to drop in because you know I've got I I'm not out there all the time. I've got another job and so. Um, so I just ask people, just let me know and we'll work out a time that works and we'll make it happen. But, uh, I just work with the customer on that. Um, and we, you know, we have done a lot of tours, you know, showing people around and, and they always enjoy it. It's, it's a pretty neat setup. You think you, maybe you're getting a little more interest because it's indoor or hydroponic or do you think it's maybe just about normal for being a local farm? You mean as far as wanting to come and see it? Yeah, as far as your customers uh, wanting to come check it out. Uh, you, uh, you know, having not had a regular local farm, I can't really compare. I, I, I don't I don't know how many visits they get. I know that I know that the novelty of a hydroponic, uh, you know, a container hydroponic setup is always really interesting to people. So so when they uh, when they do come out, they're you know they're always kind of blown away by it. It's just a cool setup, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's a different sort of thing than what they were expecting. So they always really enjoy it. Um, so I, I expect it's probably a little more interesting to people than a traditional farming set, just because most people, I think, are probably a little bit more used to the way a regular farm, what it looks like and so forth. Right. So it might seem a little more uh, new age or something like that. Yeah, it's high tech and, you know, it's the cool lights and, you know, just the way the system works and all of that is, is neat to see. So what style of hydro are you doing? Are you doing like NFT, aeroponic, ebb and flow, bucket systems, wicking beds? Uh, uh, you, you know, I'm not I'm not familiar with a whole lot of different kind of systems. Um, this is, you know, we've got a we've got a tank, uh, a, a, a main tank that we've got we've got sumps in that, that pump the water up in, through a, 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 a piping system that then drips down through towers. And then so it rotates, you know, it's all vertical, so it rotates through the towers and then down into the troughs and then back into the tank. So the water's all recycled. Um, So um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it kind of gives me an idea. I think, you know, I'm not an expert on hydroponics, but I think that would be kind of like an NFT system. Um, Because your NFTs, from my understanding, are kind of like those gutter systems where it's like a dribble of water is constantly flowing. Um, yeah, and it sounds like maybe that's happening there, just with a vertical system instead of a horizontal gutter. 
Yeah, it's vertical. It doesn't. It doesn't constantly drip. It's you know, it's all computerized, so you set schedules. Uh-huh. So for like every every forty five minutes, it the the pumps run for five minutes. Okay. And um, and uh, and and saturates the tower, so it's it's not a constantly running thing. Okay. Cool. Um, did you? So you mentioned you've seen that kind of in a. Um... And a newspaper article, did you order all that in from online? Did, was there somebody in town that was getting out of it, or how did you source all that? No, it's um, the, the company I worked with was Freight Farms. Okay. Um, and Freight Farms is a company out of Boston that makes um, that takes shipping containers and refits them all inside. Well, that's the way they used to do it. They've got a new system they're doing now. But they, they, they took shipping containers and refit them all inside with the, with the hydroponic setup. Oh, okay. Um, and so then I, I ordered the thing from them and I, you know, I've done a lot of modifications on it since then, but, um, but they just shipped that out kind of all pre-built. Oh, nice. Um, so it's like yeah, a yeah. plug and play farm, huh? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it was a little more complex than that, but yeah, basically it came shipped out and, you know, they had an engineer come out and, um, uh, um, hooked it all up for us and walked us through the first, you know, the first, uh, planting and um so it was pretty plug and play yeah it was cool nice okay um and so are they do they have like a proprietary nutrient line that you're using or do you source your own nutrient how's how's that working i source my own i i they 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 recommended they had a couple they recommended i, I used amhydro for a while um that's a um a um a solid like a salt based thing that you'd mix with water and um, it was a good nutrient, but the problem was that the emitters that we're using now are really pretty fine, pretty small. And um, so that, that solid base that you'd mix up in water would get would clog up those emitters pretty regularly. Okay. So we switched to, uh, we switched to Fertmax um, uh, Clean Grow, which is, a, uh, which is a liquid. So we, so yeah, so Fertmax is what we're using now. Okay. Um, and besides the solids issue, is there another reason that you went with that particular brand over another liquid fertilizer? Or? Uh, you know, it was what freight farms were recommending, and I've been talking to a lot of different um, freight farmers. They'd have real good luck with it. And so, yeah, n- not necessarily any slam against anybody else. I haven't really tried a lot else, so, but Fertmax seems to work pretty well. Okay, so just going off of kind of feedback from other farmers and piggybacking yeah. off their experience, if you will. Uh-huh. That's always yeah. wise if you can, yeah, you know, go off of somebody else's yeah. experience, let them make the mistakes, and then you you take it works. <laughs> right. It's one cool thing. One thing that's been really nice for me is Freight Farms has a has a great uh, uh, Facebook community. That uh, uh, you know, because hydroponics is obviously hydroponics is hydroponics, but at the same time, our particular farms have their own unique challenges, and so to be able to to bounce off problems, you know, with the community of people who are farming in a similar environment as you is really helpful well and i'd imagine there's yeah a little bit of familiarity that comes there so i mean you can get on like a hydroponic forum and ask some questions but if they don't know what your system's like they have to ask you right. a lot of questions before they can help you um exactly. so something like that the specifics of the free farm environment yeah uh-huh and so they they have a little bit more familiarity and you can go yeah i just have this system and i maybe tweaked this one thing and this is what i have right yeah Yep, exactly. So, nice. That yeah, definitely simplifies a thing or two. 
Are you able to use like one uh, nutrient for all your crops or are you having to use different nutrient blends for different crops? No, we, we use one. Uh, I, I, I grow, you know, I select crops that are going to go well with because, because it's not really possible to use different, you know, you've just got one tank, right? right. So um, one tank that waters the whole system. And so I, I'm not able to use different nutrients for different kinds of crops. So I try and select, and I know for some things I could maybe be a little bit more ideal in what I use, but in general, what I select are crops that are going to, that are going to grow well in this nutrient. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you'd have to set up a whole new system basically within your. Exactly. Yeah. Uh So, okay. Um, how do you deal with disposal? I know, you know, back in the day, at least some disposal of hydroponic nutrients was a bit problematic for some people. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't really had any, uh, you know, it's, it's recycled so much that I rarely, I rarely need to, okay. uh, uh, the nutrients get used up and they get recycled into the system and, and, and there is, you know, there is some drainage into the farm, uh, out of the farm, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty minimal. So, uh, you know, when the county and everybody came by and took a look at the setup, you know, nobody had any, uh, nobody had any real problems. There's, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing but some plant nutrients that are, that are, that are coming out of the farm. Otherwise it's just water. So. And you just have that like drain out onto a pasture or near some yeah. tree lines or something. Yeah. Yeah. But just, yeah, just out into the, just out into the, there's a, um, uh, you know, just kind of the, the, the drainage ditch that runs along the side of the road. Oh, okay. All right. And the grass grows really well there. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, so you mentioned you grow a, a few different kinds of crops. I'm pretty familiar with the speed of broccoli microgreens, but maybe the listeners aren't. What? How long does uh, each crop tend to take to get to maturity from seed to harvest? Radish and broccoli microgreens are two weeks, um, generally. Um, and and, and uh, mine are growing. You know what I'm doing is growing faster. It's growing a little faster than it would in a lot of environments because we keep the CO2 high, the lights are pretty intense, um, and just the nutrient blend and everything. So we're generally on a it's it's pretty accelerated. I like the lettuce especially. We grow a lettuce crop. Um, seedlings are two weeks, and um, and in the towers we transplant from seedlings to towers after two weeks, and then and then they're in the towers for four weeks. So a total of six weeks for a for a lettuce head. Um, uh, herbs are herbs are cut and come again, and the kale too. So they'll stay in the towers for uh, a couple of months before I replace them or longer, and um, they're ready to start trimming after oh, generally four to six weeks. Okay. And are you using like uh, net cups and and foam discs or rock wool pads or? What kind of medium are you using there? When you put them in the tower, it's actually a it's actually a, a recycled, um, just a kind of a plastic foam. Okay. That um, uh, the the towers the towers have there's 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 two pieces of, of foam that sandwich together, and in between that is a um, a cotton wicking strip. And so we just we take the plugs, which are which are peat moss. And we just we just sandwich them right in between those those two foam strips. Okay. Uh, up against up against the wicking strip, uh, and those just we just 
those just stay in place. We we hose them out every time, but they never have to be replaced, which is really nice. Nice. Um, so when you say like peat uh, pots or whatever you said, are those like those peat pellets that you can get or the, similar? They're, the, they're they're plugs. They're they're little. They're like the they're like about an inch and a half long and about a about an inch wide. Okay. And um, so we have trays, ten by twenty trays, you know, that have. Uh, that, that we put all the plugs in and then you just drop a seed inside each one of those plugs and that's where the seedlings grow. So kind of similar uh, to those jiffy um, yeah. pea pellets that they, okay. Yeah, kind of like that. And then we pull those, then at the, after two weeks we pull those plugs out and transplant them into the towers. Cool. Um, what kind of lights are you using? Are you going mainly LED or are you using like a mix of that, doing some HPS or... Now it's all LED. They're um, they're they're LED strips. Uh, they're five to five five to one red blue. Okay. Um, and um, uh, yeah, they're these flexible strips that just hang in between the towers. Um, it's 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 a pretty. Uh, you know, sometimes I wish the lights could be a little a, a little brighter. Um, I think we could maybe. Uh, that's one thing I wonder if could have been improved on the system a little bit. But in general, it works pretty well. So yeah, they're LEDs. Nice. Yeah, the LEDs I hear. I mean, they, they're some of them get pretty bright, but they don't really have the penetration that some of your other lights have. So I, I wonder if maybe that's some of yeah. the. Is it like well, dim for thinking, you when you're in there, or do you feel like maybe it could be brighter for the plants? Uh, brighter for the plants. I, I, I've heard some, you know, some talk that um, the light, the light system might be, might be a little underpowered, but. Um, you know, one of the challenges in that environment is it's all enclosed, right? Which mm -hmm. means, which is nice for, you know, when the weather's like this, but, um, uh, but those lights generate a lot of heat. And so uh, I do wonder, I mean, if they were a lot brighter, I wonder if, you know, whether heat would be a problem because I got to run the air conditioner all the time to keep the heat down. Otherwise, you know, even with those LEDs, huh? Yeah. Even with LEDs, cause there's, 128 of them, 128 of these strips, you know, uh -huh. so. Wow. So, yeah, even when it's, even when it's 20 below outside, I still have to run the air conditioning inside. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Um, so I guess that, that does away with your need for a heater, huh? Or do you have one in just in case? Nope, I don't, I don't need any heat in there. I, it's all trying to keep it cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So your ventilation system, is that like, do you just have fans to circulate air? Do you have, you mentioned AC units. Do you have like exhaust fans, a mix of all of them? Yeah. Yeah, there's an intake fan and an exhaust fan that run, you know, run every hour. They run for a few minutes every hour to keep the air fresh. And then I have fans inside as well. I've got um, ceiling mounted fans that blow down the rows that keep the air moving and then floor fans that blow air up. Um, you know, I got one of those big plastic tubes that runs down the whole aisle of towers with, uh, that's perforated along the top. And so that, that blows, that blows up. So air's blowing up from the floor and then down the aisles and then bringing fresh air in and blowing it back out. So yeah, there's a lot of air circulation inside. Good. Okay. Yeah, that's and then pretty... I got the AC, then I got the AC too. And, uh, and then I run some dehumidifiers inside also. So yeah. Nice. It gets noisy in there when everything's running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. Um, so is it, you, you'd you bought it a few years ago, did they send you basically a, a sea can or a shipping container? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a 10 by 40 shipping container, essentially. Nice. And how much did that whole unit cost you when you got into that? Well, let's see. The, uh, I'm trying to remember the, um, the initial, and this, this would be, you know, their new system is more expensive than this. The, mm. the original the original thing was 80, 83, I believe, 83,000. And then, um, then with the other, just, you know, I needed to run electrical and, and prepare the site, and I built a little shed onto it and some other things. So altogether, it ran me a little over 100. Is that shed your uh, like your packing shed for harvest and stuff? Or? Uh, it's not quite that big. It's it's just storage mostly. I've got some refrigerators out there to keep to keep the lettuce in after harvest, and and otherwise it's storage. And it and it also just uh, it, it's a lot of it was so that I would have an airlock so that when I opened that door, I wouldn't just be immediately exposing it to the outside because. Uh, you know, keeping dust out of there and bugs and all that kind of stuff is a big deal. You try really hard to keep that environment in there as pristine as possible. So, okay. um, so I like to have a little bit extra barrier between the farm and the outdoor environment, and then it also just provides some storage and things like that. Gotcha. Okay. And so, I mean, are you growing entirely in this one shipping container, or do you do any outdoor beds in the summer for the farm, or...? Not right now, no. I mean, the family's got its own kind of personal little garden, but um, mm-hmm. but as far as the actual business, it all happens inside the shed right now. Okay. Uh, inside the inside the container. Is that something that maybe you'd look at changing in the future, or do you you really like going with the hydroponic? Maybe just get another unit or uh, something. You know, it's funny. It's like it's 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 like I said. I didn't really. I didn't even really garden a whole lot before this. My fam, my wife did. She mm-hmm. likes gardening, but I've never really been into it all that much, and so I, you know, it's kind of funny that I got into this. But so if I if I did like start growing outdoors, that would be like a whole new learning curve for me because it's so different, you know. Right. Um, so I, uh, you know, I I feel like I'm kind of tapped out as far as available time, and so I'm not really I don't really have any further expansion in in mind right now. I mean, I I wouldn't say never, but I'm not really thinking of that right now. Okay. Maybe something that might change if, you know, employment situations oh, yeah. change or, you know, if there's more sure. money in it or something. Yeah, but, you never know what the future holds, obviously. Right. So, I mean, being all indoors, you know, obviously you're not going to deal with uh, the same cycles that we would have outdoors. But what kind of diseases have you seen or dealt with in there? Uh, yeah, we have, uh, we, we have certainly had... Um, uh, the difficulties, the learning curve has been, I don't think I was prepared for the, for the learning curve. You kind of think it's in a, an enclosed environment, so you're not going to have those kinds of problems, but, but we did. Um, we, let's see, Pythium, Root Rot, uh, Root Rot probably caused by Pythium, we're pretty sure. Um, then we've had, you know, problems with, um, uh, powdery mildew. Um, we had aphids and, uh, gnats at different times. Um, let's see, I think that's probably the, the root rot was the biggest one. That was, that was quite a challenge. Um, we got that, we got that under control a while back and, uh, right now we're, we're, everything is going really smoothly, but, um, yeah, the, the, the root rot, the powdery mildew were probably the two, two biggest challenges. I had to knock on some wood for you for a second. 
<laughs> thank you thank you that was traumatic <laughs> so the the root rot there uh did you identify kind of the cause of it and and how did you deal with that uh, after you figured it out i think so you know when we were when we started out um and kind of the the you know free farms is a fairly new organization and so we're both kind of on a learning curve and early on Early on, the approach was like an intense focus on cleanliness. So we used we used a lot of zerotol, which is a um, it's kind of a, a, a it's like a hydrogen peroxide kind of thing, you know. So it's it's non toxic and it's all organic rated, but it's still a pretty intensive intense uh, um, disinfectant, which we still use some, but we put that in the tanks and we clean stuff out and, and all of the and. Um, and just try and you know filter the water and all that kind of stuff, and still it was getting in. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if the filtering system just wasn't able to completely take it out, but it get into the environment. We're pretty sure it was pythium, and um, and then multiply, and it just didn't seem like anything we did ever ever really addressed it. So we finally ended up we ended up switching again on Freight Farms' advice. One of their guys advised just kind of taking a whole different approach, which was more an activated approach. So now we use we don't put the we don't put the disinfectant stuff in the tank anymore. Now we use a probiotic, and we use a, a, a mycorrhizae, and um, uh, you know the beneficial. We're really focused on beneficial microbes and bacteria, and that actually solved the problem. Um, so we use a we use a probiotic and a um, and a mycorrhizae combination that um, just outcompetes anything else, right? And so it colonizes the roots and um and uh prevents anything else from growing on there and not only crowds out pythium or anything like that but it also actually um uh, uh optimizes the absorbance of nutrients into the plants so that's been a really successful approach excellent yeah that's that's one of the exciting things you know when i was younger and and looking into hydroponics a little bit it it definitely seemed to be lacking that holistic mindset um, yeah. And it was all, a lot of it, you know, 10 years ago, it was all chemical based and like, it was almost yeah. like going to a doctor's office, you know, I see this problem, so yeah. I'll prescribe this pill yeah. or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, it seems like you've kind of, you flipped it a little bit and found something more effective and, and simply trying to provide a healthy environment for the plant so the plant can do the work exactly, for you. Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, so then that's a, you know, I would have done whatever worked, but, uh, uh-huh. but it was cool that what worked was also something I could feel really good about, you know, that I'm actually providing an even more natural product uh, for the customer now. Yeah, yeah, and that's always awesome when that happens. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, but, you know, right. as often as it can, you definitely want to go with that and... Yeah, yeah, having yeah. having that that feel good is always important, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's a and that's a big part of my a, a big part of my marketing is, and the customers love it that I'm not spraying my products with a lot of stuff. They're getting a clean product, you know, that um, uh, that they can feel really good about, and you and you can taste the difference, you know, and and so yeah, so that's a big part of the sales. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like to tell some of our you know some of the newer farmers that I run into. You're never going to compete with Walmart on price because right. they have scale, they have subsidies, they've got all sorts of things you don't right. have. But what you can compete with is on quality. Right. You can right. always yeah. beat them on quality. Exactly. And so, 
you know, being local, being able to say, yeah, I, I do my best to stay natural. And I think it's, you know, it's incredibly important to be using that mycorrhizal fungi um, just because of, you know, the, the, the role that fungi plays in the microbiome around the roots and how it helps the plant to better absorb nutrients. You know, I, yeah. that's probably doing a yeah, lot for your flavor too, honestly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, good. Um, let's see. We got on off on a tangent. That's good. That means we were talking. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was your uh, seed supply disrupted over this last year? A little bit, not as bad as some. Um, I I, uh, I I I had to scramble a couple of times to to get my to get my lettuce seeds, and um, I haven't always been able to get. You know, I like to because we we uh, seed by hand it's nice to get those pelleted seeds and I haven't always been able to get those um, so it hasn't been too bad but there have been slowdowns mm -hmm. yeah we had some issues with uh, with microgreen seed particularly I had uh, okay. even even as late as um, recently so I ordered my last order mid-november and it was about a week and a half ago I finally got my pea seeds in Oh wow! They, who they who sat do you in. usually use? So I usually go through uh, Mum Seeds up in Canada, and they're okay. they're selling all certified organic seed, um, and the price beats Johnny's on most of them. Um, well, who was that? Yeah, I've always kind of gone through Johnny's, but uh -huh. um, I wouldn't mind uh, having an, another supplier. Who, who? What was the name of that? Mums. So it's M U M M S. Okay, I'll and, check them out. And for those listening, I mean, we'll we'll put that in the show notes just to make it easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they tend to do pretty good. I'd I'd heard about them through uh, Curtis Stone up there in Kelowna, Canada. I don't know if you know who that is. I don't know. Um, he's a urban farmer up there, and he did a lot of microgreen operations. So that was who he was ordering from. Of course, being up in Canada, that probably was a natural choice for him. And sure. for me, up until this year. You know, it's always been pretty seamless getting the seed, and uh, the quality's been, you know, exactly where I'd like it to be. They're sourcing their sunflower seeds from Italy, um, which is where, from my understanding, the best seeds coming from for sunflower. Oh, okay. Um, and then the pea seeds really competitively priced, and broccoli seems to be pretty good compared to what I've found here in the states. And most of the time, I haven't had issues with shipping, um, but this time I just sat in customs from like December 10th on to February. Wow. And yeah, I was there for a long time, so. Yeah, that's <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, I, I know uh, a few other farmers had, had some issues with seeds, so I was just kind of curious how bad you got affected by that. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Good. Um, so you went through this, um, company that kind of offered you, you know, the turnkey farm, but it, are you kind of basing or inspired by other farmers in particular that you can mention or maybe just that company? Um, you know, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, I actually had spent, um, you know, I, I, I spent most of my early life in Colorado Springs, kind of a city kid. Mm. And, um, then I spent... Uh, about 10 years out on the eastern plains of Colorado in, a, in, a, in an agricultural environment and knew a lot of the traditional farmers and ranchers out there. And uh, 
I guess, I, I don't know, maybe that prepared me in some ways. I, I, I knew a lot of the farmers and ranchers and saw their business close up and, um, and, and, and really learned a lot of respect for what they do and uh, the complexity of their, of their businesses and uh, how much is involved, you know? So I, I think that, I think that gave me a, um, yeah, I guess a, a fresh respect for the agricultural life and, um, and, and how much goes into, I mean, I always knew it was a complex thing, but I guess I didn't realize the level of it. And, uh, and so I, I really enjoyed that, you know, getting to know the agricultural world a little bit more for those 10 years I was out in eastern Colorado. Um, and I think that probably prepped me in some ways for taking this step myself uh, these, these last four years. Yeah, it's funny how some of that works. I, you know, I look back at some of my time, and as a younger man, like when I was a kid, uh, my mom had a garden and some of our neighbors had gardens, you know, and you know, as a teenager, of course, that was the lamest thing I'd ever heard of, (laughs) but I grew up a little bit more and, and start to have an interest of my own in it. And, uh, and looking back, it's interesting how, you know, that may have subconsciously kindled some fires there. Um, I think, yeah, as I get older, I, I more and more, I just have a desire to, um, uh, you know, work with more tangible, you know, I've always been kind of, I've been in tech and I've been, you know, kind of a knowledge worker. And so my work is very abstract and so forth, um, in a lot of ways, but, um, and and so to have something that's tangible, have, you know, something where there's a, you know, I'm actually growing something and there's, there's just a great satisfaction in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That having that, yeah, that visceral, uh, relationship with your work is, it's really fulfilling. Right. Exactly. Nice. All right. Um, so I'm going to, well, I guess I can go over these ones. These are next on my list. That way I don't get lost. <laughs> so uh, these ones, you know, feel free if you you don't have to answer them super detailed, but is your business currently profitable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is yeah. it? Yeah. We've actually been profitable since, just about since day one. We, we, oh, good. we were out of the shoots, at least, at least paying our bills and, uh, uh, you know, and, and now, uh, actually, actually, the pandemic, uh, ironically, was really good for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, sales jumped up quite a bit and have stayed up um, since then. And uh, I think it was a combination. I think originally people were liking the idea of getting delivery and not having to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also as things kind of deepened, I think the idea of supporting the local economy was a big deal to a lot of people. And so... Um, so yeah, so yeah, we're doing good. Good. Um, and is that enough that, I mean, right now, obviously you're working another job. Do you see it something in the future where maybe it would be enough to sustain the family or would it have to grow? Uh, not, not on the present setup. I uh-huh. have to expand a, a fair bit. I'd have to get a couple more farms, a couple more of these units or, or think of some other way to expand. Um, it's, it's just, you know, the volume I can produce out of the present unit is not is not going to be a full-time thing. Okay. Um, so you do an email marketing campaign with local delivery, basically, right? Right. And have you you've been doing that since day one? Is that kind of part of the plug-and-play that they teach you when you buy a unit? or? Uh, the sales approach was 
is really all mine. Uh, they had some ideas. They they didn't do so much in terms of marketing and sales. They, we were a little bit more on our own. But I've got a background in sales and so forth, so that so that didn't really that part didn't worry me. Um, and that that ended up going a very different way than I thought it would. Actually, my original vision was restaurants and grocery stores. Um, and that didn't work out. Um, I never was able to get much traction there. Too much cost sensitivity. I just don't think we have a good enough dining scene in Casper to support really high-end produce. You know, uh-huh. they're so cost sensitive. And so um, I, I never was really able to get into that. And so early on, kind of as that didn't pan out, I just said, hey, maybe I'll just try going direct to consumer. And um, that ended up being a much better way actually I'm really happy that that uh, because I control the business myself I'm not getting I'm not dependent on any one customer I'm not getting nickel and dimes to death you know and so uh, I, I've actually really enjoyed going that way nice um, so did you when you first set out on that how how did you kind of approach that did you just tell all your family and friends did you start with an ad uh, Facebook actually okay. um, and Facebook's been my main go-to for marketing ever since um, you know I set up a set up a page on Facebook and used their targeted ad system and you know I'm not a huge fan of Facebook so I was kind of thinking of what you were talking about Amazon earlier I'm not a huge fan of either one of those companies but it does work you know and so it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to um, and so so Facebook um, uh, you know, you can target your ads to particular geographical locations, and, and so I put a page on there and started promoting it through Facebook, and that's probably where 90% of my business has come from. Nice. Yeah, I've been talking talking about that a lot with friends lately. I mean, none of us really love any of those companies, <laughs> right. but yeah. at least in my I mean, circle. We're all local guys for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, yeah, again, it's a it's a thing of effectiveness, right? So. There's yeah. there's obviously different branches you can take. You can go with a radio ad or a paper ad, but especially for a small guy, you gotta really kind of look at what's the most effective, and and that is right. the the positive side of all that data mining they do. You know, they can really target yeah. the people that are interested, and that in yeah. in that regard in that respect, you know, as long as it's in that narrow scope, it's actually a very beneficial thing. Um, right. I wish they were, were more responsible in the other ways they used some of that data. But um, yeah. But yeah, as far as marketing goes, and even as a consumer, you know, I like getting ads that are relevant to me. <laughs> I like that part of it, you know, uh-huh. ads that are local and products I'm interested in, and that's a good thing, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be really helpful. I I can think of a time or two where maybe I was looking for something, and and an ad that was targeted at me came up, and it happened to be a better option than what I was originally looking for. Um, so, you know, there's times when that's, yeah, it's very good for both the consumer and the producer. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So when you do ads, I mean, are you, the last one I seen from you, um, that kind of spurred this, this episode, um, was kind of just driving, it was funneling traffic to your, uh, mailing list. Does that tend to be what you do? Uh, you know, I do different things. Uh Um, I, I, I try to um, I try to put some variety into it so people aren't just seeing the same ad all the time. Sometimes right. I'll write up a short, you know, to just talk about the business a little bit, uh, make the sales points, uh, you know, that we 
pesticide-free, herbicide-free, locally grown. You'll taste the difference, delivered right to your door, and uh, just write up a little paragraph and maybe throw a picture on it and blast that out. Some, uh, sometimes sometimes I, 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 I do a more canvassing approach where I'm just targeting it to, you know, anybody – anybody uh within you know within 20 miles of casper and then other times i'll target it more at my at those that have liked my page already and their friends to kind of spur on actual purchases so i kind of i kind of alternate between approaches um yeah sometimes i'll, I'll try to drive the, the mailing list ads are always pretty successful people People like the idea of just getting a mailing list so they can get more information. They can, and, and then I send out the weekly email to, to all everybody on the mailing list, and I just say, "Here's what's available this week, and let me know what you want." And so, so that's you know, it's it's a low pressure approach that I think you know people that people can don't feel bad about putting their name on a mailing list a lot of times, mm-hmm. and then they just get those emails and say, "Here's what's available," and 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 it doesn't feel too intrusive. I don't think. Yeah, so, so you're not really sending really out like a sales pitch every day. You're just like, this is what we have. Right, and they've opted into the mailing list, and so they're not feeling bad about, you know, getting you know getting spammed by someone that they didn't really ask for, you know, so that's nice. Good. Yeah, and I've been uh, actually looking at doing something similar. I had mentioned a subscription mailing list to you, and I was kind of going towards that direction. I, You know, the subscription model's nice for having regular purchases, but... Well, I think what you're doing is it's simplified, you know, you don't really have to have a, a subscription set up on the website. Um, right. And, you know, with farming, of course, you have weeks where things go wrong, whether that's root rot or, you know, fungus yeah. or whatever it is, and you might not have product available that you normally yeah, have. Yeah, or somebody just forgot to turn the water pump back on when they left the farm. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah. Right, and, and that's exactly it. So then I can be flexible, and I can, you know, if, you know, whatever product I've got, I can just tell my customers, hey, here's what I've got this week, and and you know, and sometimes I have more of one thing or another, and so and, and this way, yeah, yeah, with your subscription, then boy, you know, if you don't have it that week, then you feel it, man, people paid for this, and now you don't have it, and so what do you do? But but with this approach, you know, you sell what you've got, and you know, sometimes I. Sometimes I end up having to donate some unsold product, you know, but um, most of the time I clear it out pretty good. Good, good. Um, so are, are you hoping to, like, maybe expand your marketing in the coming season, uh, one direction or another, or you just kind of want to stay? You know, I'm pretty close to I'm pretty close to capacity as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my, my family wants to make sure I've got produce for them too, so I, you know, I'm always gonna have a little leeway. Uh-huh. But, um, so, so I'm, I'm pretty content where I'm at, actually. Okay. Oh, nothing wrong with that, especially for it being a, you know, a side business, as you say. Right. Um, right. Exactly. And it's good. I mean, that you have you have it kind of dialed in to where it fits your context, and yeah. you're, you have some happy customers and. I mean, you know, there's always, you're always losing customers, people kind of drift away, and so you, you can't ever just stop, you know, you've always got to think in terms of growing your market, of course, but, right. um, but I'm, like I said, I'm pretty content to kind of keep, you know, to keep, a, you know, a slow level of growth, but to, to kind of, to kind of hold steady where I'm at. Okay, yeah. Well, and there's, you know, there's so many different ways of, 
that a customer will leave. It's not always that you've made a mistake. It might be they've moved, their finances have right. changed, you know, their diet yeah, has changed. Yeah. There's, right, exactly. there's so many yeah. things. So, cool. Um, let's see. A couple other... How big is your mailing list currently? Oh, I think I've got... Nice. That's sizable for Casper, I think. Yeah, it, it, it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so and there's and I've always got I've got actually most of my customers are regular customers, so they sign up for a weekly a weekly order or an every other week order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 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 the, you know I've had I think probably seventy or seventy or eighty percent of my business is. Is, I wouldn't call it exactly a subscription, but it's just they, they want a bag of lettuce every week, or they want a bag of lettuce every other week. They want a bag of lettuce, they want kale, they want basil every other week, you know? And so I, I already have an expectation of uh, pretty close what I'm going to do every week. Then you send out the email list, and maybe some of those right, your regular customers will add something on to their regular order, and then other customers that just order occasionally off of the mailing list. And so, yeah, it works out pretty well. And that just uh, kind of prompted another question. So you mentioned about 70 to 80% um, of your orders are going to kind of regulars. Are you finding that that's almost following the Pareto principle where it's like 20% of your customers or 80% of your business and vice versa? Maybe not quite that dialed in, but it's close <laughs> probably. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, you've got your customers that are just reliably ordering several things every week and they're, you know, they're, they're easy and they're, they, you know, and then, and then, you know, you've got new customers or smaller customers that have, you know, that have a small bag or something. And it's so, yeah, I, I'd say so that, that there's, there's definitely your kind of your core people that, that provide a, a big part of your, a big part of your, your weekly, um, you know, there's only so much lettuce any one person is going to order, but, uh, right. <laughs> uh, although I don't know, man, some people eat a lot of salads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are big on salads. Well, and depending on your crops, I know there's a lot of people that do a lot of juicing and yeah, yeah. I have ones that do that, that use it for juicing. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that might be something you'd see more if you had like carrots or something, but you probably get right. that Here. with a lettuce, but yeah. So do you have any, um, like, books that you would recommend or that have really influenced you um, in this space? Uh, not really. I, I didn't... I mean, even... Yeah, I've done a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, you know, this... You know, most of what I've learned has been more through discussions mm-hmm. uh, with other farmers and with freight farms and... I, 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 I hate to say I, I, don't, I, I don't have a book I could recommend. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's see. I think that was a lot of the main ones. Before we get into the end of shows, uh, let's just switch it around a little bit. Maybe tell us about a time that you experienced a failure and what you learned from that failure, whether that was personal or something on the farm. Or um, you know, uh, there there have been a there there have been some big ones. I mentioned the root rod earlier. I mentioned the aphids earlier. Aphids were a big deal. I again I I felt like in a closed environment I wasn't going to have a. You know what I did? It was the dumbest thing. 
my mother-in-law had bought some some saplings and needed someplace cool to store them until she could get them planted and mm-hmm. wanted to put them in my farm and I just didn't even think about it and I said yeah so she put these saplings you know they were in you know they were in little bags and um and I got aphids from them <laughs> and uh and um and it was and it was a sort of thing where you know like one one week I see a few little bugs I'm like oh it's just a few little bugs no big deal and I kind of you know brush them off or something because I'm dumb right I don't I don't know what I'm doing and so in a couple of weeks I had a million of them right and that was man that was rough uh, mm-hmm. it took a long time I ended up just tearing out whole crops and um, and you know and, and I'm big on organic and. But just to get rid of it, I had to. I just had to go nuclear. I just had to do whatever would work, and then just kind of start over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a bummer. Um, but in general, I think the big thing I've learned, and it's been really good for me personally, is that you know I'm I'm not really a detail guy. I'm not. I'm kind of a big picture kind of thinker, mm-hmm. and um, and so to force myself because farming, man, is details <laughs> you know all the little details and getting them right so implementing checklists and things like that has been so it's just been valuable just for in terms of personal growth for me to to force myself to think in a really different way that i'm used to thinking and things like things like the aphids the gnats the root rot um, or even just like i said earlier making sure that everything turns on when you leave the farm you didn't forget to turn something on you know um all those kinds of things have been just learning to be more detail oriented and get all the little all the little check boxes checked. It's just been actually really profitable for me just as a person. Nice. Yeah, that's one of those things that's probably in a list of many of the skill sets you have to learn as a farmer. Um, yeah. But it's it's always fun to, you know, in any job, whether it's your own business or working for somebody else, to really take the opportunity to improve yourself when you're yeah. you know having to face challenges so that's really cool that you're able to do that with it yeah all right well i, I think we did pretty decent on time i mean we've got probably okay. a couple minutes to edit out of silence there with the phone but i mean we're at almost an hour okay um, great so we'll go ahead and and do the end of the show questions here um, before we dive okay. into them. Is there anything else you want to talk about with your farm, or anything exciting you have coming up as far as promotions or anything? Uh, not really. Um, I guess uh, you know. I just want to reiterate what I said at the beginning. It's just been, you know, it's just been neat to become more a part of this community, to meet more people, and just kind of plug into Casper a little bit more. I haven't lived here all my life. We've been here about eight years now. And, um, and, uh, it's just, it's just a great town. I just, I, we're just very thankful to be here and to, to be part, to be more part of the community, be able to serve the community with this product. And it's just been, it's just been a real blessing. Nice. Yeah. That's good feedback. Good to share too. And, you know, I kind of have, I don't know, I guess similar experience. You, you meet a lot of people that, maybe live here superficially if you will and they don't get so plugged in so they get to where they just don't really like the place you know they don't find what they're looking for here maybe they don't like the weather Um, yeah the weather's challenging yeah for sure (laughs) yeah i mean it's been below zero for days here um but yeah it is you know like you say you get plugged into the community and you start to develop these relationships that are you know inter uh connected with all your other relationships it 
it gets very gives you a sense of place you know and it's it's really nice to have that but yeah yeah i guess that's just musing on <laughs> on your comments yeah um, yeah no, I, I agree totally so what has been your most successful farming enterprise or product I would say the lettuce is the kind of the backbone of the business and most of my product and people eat a lot of lettuce <laughs> so uh-huh. you know salads and sandwiches and all kinds of stuff and so yeah that's that's really the uh the go-to and and we kind of answer this throughout the show but what is your main marketing outlet yeah still facebook mm-hmm. um definitely facebook and then what is the biggest challenge on your farm uh, I, you know, I guess I'd reiterate what I said earlier. Uh, my biggest challenge has always been my own lack of attention to detail and growing in that space has been the best thing for me. Uh, just, you know, making sure all the little steps are getting all the little, all the maintenance jobs that need to get done are done. And, um, I'm not a great detail person. And so most of the time when I've had problems, it's been because of some little detail that I didn't pay attention to like I should have. And so, uh, you know, checklists, man, I'm a big believer in checklists now. <laughs> and, and, and those kind of journaling and writing everything down and keeping records and all that kind of stuff has been huge for me. Nice. Um, what is the worst thing the Wyoming wind has done to you? You know, in terms of the farm, not a whole lot because we're in such an enclosed environment. Early on, before I had the, uh, the, the shed enclosure built on, I had trouble with uh, the wind. If the wind was blowing in the right direction, it would, it would um, interfere with uh, the, the AC's uh, discharge fan and um, actually burnt one out. And, and so that, that was probably the worst thing, that it, that it interrupted my air conditioning, which is a, a, a huge problem for the farm. Uh, since I've got the enclosure built on there, I haven't really had that problem anymore. So, Good. yeah, it's it's not too much, not too much. We, I mean, you might be the most mild answer to that question that we'll get on this podcast. We'll, <laughs> I bet so, I bet so. <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> All right. Um, so, name the one thing you think would benefit Wyoming agriculture the most. answer that question generally because I honestly don't know that much about Wyoming agriculture more broadly speaking. For myself I'd say probably um, a better uh, culinary scene, a better dine, a fine dining scene um, where, where you had restaurants that were more interested in the higher end product uh, as far as the greens and so forth. Nice. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some improvements that could be made uh, on the farm-to-restaurant connection there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've had far, or restaurants interested in my product before, um, and for some of them it wasn't so much the price sensitivity as it was the regulations getting in the way. And, uh, then, okay. and then there was, you know, I've, I've had a chef or two where it was price sensitivity, which I found interesting because for me, I, I think my product's price pretty damn good already right. <laughs> at least uh if some they're of just, it, if, they're, but... if they're just buying from sam's club though you know yeah yeah if they're used to that economy of scale and those subsidies man i you know it's hard to you know everything's yeah. so disconnected not everybody really understands um why things are the way they are 
and why yeah. you know a local might be different. So it's always interesting. Right, exactly. But all right, well, awesome, Matt. I I really appreciate having the um, conversation we've had today, having you on the show. I think it was a really good podcast. So yeah, thanks. Before we fun. sign off, yeah, it was good. I I think it was a fun conversation. I think we'll uh, we'll have to chat a little more often. Okay, that sounds good. But where can listeners find you, real quick? Um, well, uh, Skyline Gardens on Facebook. Um, the the website is skylinegardenscasper.com. dot com. Uh, oh, let me double check, make sure I got that right. Um, well, and we'll. Oh, no, uh, I'm sorry, we changed okay. it. It's just skyline gardens dot com. That's the that's the website. Okay. Um, yeah, Skyline Gardens Casper is my email address. Skyline Gardens Casper at gmail.com. Um, or you can call me at 719-332-1482. Cool. All right. And then when we get off the show here and I stop recording, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit and I'll have you email me some links so we can make sure we include them in the show notes. Okay, great. But, awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording here and then we'll we'll finish up. Thank you, Devin. Thanks. All right, so there you have it, folks. Another wonderful episode, that one with uh, Matt Powell of Skyline Gardens. I hope you enjoyed that. If you have any questions uh, or you'd like to reach out to Matt, just uh, follow the link in the show notes. There's going to be his website, all that good stuff. Uh, If you have any comments or feedback on the show, you can always do that at the website. That is cackleberryfg.wixsite.com forward slash yoag and again a link in the show to or show notes to that as well and don't forget if you'd like to support the show you can do so on amazon just do all your shopping through our link there and any qualifying purchase will help support the show all right well thanks again guys and until next time go on and grow on